Welcome, everyone. My name is Isaac, and I'm speaking here with Jason. Uh, we're just two, two guys that love cars and want to bring you along for the ride. How are you going today, Jason? Doing good. How are you, Isaac? Good to see you. Pretty good. You as well. And uh, we've already been talking about car stuff here in the last few minutes, so you know we got to get you guys on board and um, keep you in the loop with our conversation. So, uh, Jason, you were showing me a an old Motor Trend issue. Uh, which issue is that? This is um, December of 96, actually. December of 96. Do you remember where you were in December of 96? God, um, sledding down a hill somewhere when that, we had that huge... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that was like the blizzard, the blizzard of 96, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was... That one was late March, early April. Something like that. It was really big, though. We had like feet yeah. of snow, I remember. Yeah, somewhere around there. That was... Um, what the heck was I doing though? Can't really tell you what I was doing except probably having some fun with snow. Yeah, yeah, we were a little bit younger then. That was uh, 24 years ago. Feels like it was December yesterday. 26. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's on the what the cover there? So this magazine struck my attention. I was just going through stuff, cleaning some things out, and. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this very much, Isaac, but I'm Ford. I, I was a Ford guy till I came over to the, uh, you know, the foreign cars here with with the Audi. Um, but for a long time, I was solo, always Ford. Um, mm -hmm. So I must have saved this because two reasons. One reason um, they do a little thing on uh, the '96. Ford Taurus SHO, which I thought was really cool because it had a Yamaha 3.4 liter in it. Um, was it 3.4 liter? Yeah, 3.4 liter eight cylinder. I thought it was a four liter. No. Oh, okay. I knew it was it was made by Yamaha, and I was going to ask you if you knew that, but I didn't know it was a 3.4 liter. That's really small. Yeah. It's tiny for a V8. Also, considering that the the option down the step down from that would have been the LX which had a three liter six cylinder yeah. so to go from i don't know you know i don't know what the torque specs were or anything like that but to go from a three liter six cylinder to only you know point only going stepping up 0.4 liters while adding on two more cylinders must have been really tiny but i think it revved pretty pretty well because of that Anyway, so I thought that was really cool, and I've always been a. I know that a lot. There's a lot of, um, I guess, argument about that that style of Ford mm. Taurus because I know a lot of people didn't like the way it looked because they had that, yeah. that rear, the egg shaped window in the back. Yeah, I always um, thought it looked like a fish. A fish. Well, from the front or the back? Yeah, the front. Yeah, the front kind of looked weird. It wasn't really like a sexy car, I'd say. Right. But. I always think that's cool when there's a little V8 inside of a, uh, you know, like a, I call it a soccer mom sedan. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like but, some of the styling was also influenced by NASCAR. It could but have been. I, yeah. I, I feel like I remember hearing that the rear window was designed in an oval to help with visibility. Really? Yeah. For, for NASCAR purposes. Yeah. For NASCAR. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, even in like in the nineties, they, I think they had gone away from actually showroom cars. Like I think the late, mid eighties was probably the end of that era. Okay. But yeah. I, because they were, the bodies 
of the race cars were still stylistically really close to the the factory cars um they wanted to i think they did that to aid in 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 visibility out the rear good point um i did not know that but that's interesting and i may Um, be remembering things wrong but i i think that's what i remember hearing we'll have to have our listeners fact check us on that (laughs) i'm sure somebody will (laughs) the other thing that I loved about this uh, this magazine here is that there there's a uh, excerpt on the 1997 Lincoln Mark Eight, which I fit, happen to think it's really interesting car. Uh, I know a lot of people probably will disagree with me on that one, and I don't know why I like it yeah. uh, so much. I just again I think that. It's a guilty pleasure it's, car. Yeah, it's a guilty pleasure car. And uh, I don't know. It's just, I wish that, I know that, you know, we're, we're, go, we're, we're definitely getting away from V8 engines and definitely moving towards, you know, smaller displacement and internal combustions. And then from there, we're going to be going electric eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't mean to ramble, but to that point, um, you know, I'm looking around at cars and things like that, and I'm happy that I saw that the Lexus just put out a new IS 500, mm-hmm. which, you know, the, it's usually the IS 250, IS 300, but I think it's a four-cylinder, maybe an inline six. I think they're both V6s. Are they? I think that, I think the IS 250 is still a V6, okay. like just a small one. Okay. I, I might be wrong. I'm only like 40% confident on that, but I'm pretty, I think they're both V6s. Okay. Well, which again, we'll have our uh, our, view, our listeners check us on that one. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's really cool that the IS platform mm-hmm. is bringing a V8 to uh, to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I, you know, we were talking a little bit about this the other day, but I don't know if that if that would be like no, I don't want to say collector, but if these V8 cars will gain value in time because you eventually won't be able to get one right or or if they'll just be too expensive to maintain or maybe buy fuel for that they won't have value at me much at all right so i guess only time will tell on that but uh i'd love to have one in my driveway yeah i think it's um an interesting an interesting car um they have always been, it's, it's interesting because the IS originally was, it started in Japan as the Alteza and it was like, you know, early 2000s, that was one of those forbidden fruit cars that we c- couldn't get, you know, and we, if you, if you remember like the clear taillights were like the Alteza style that everyone was getting like in the early yes. 2000s after the Fast and the Furious came out yep. and then they brought it over here as the IS 300 or 200 if you got the four cylinder. And that was actually an interesting little car. A friend of mine at the time had gotten one after it was a couple of years old. And I had remember riding in it for the first time. Those are smaller than you think they are. Like they're kind of like narrow and, but the, the had kind of like an interesting gauge setup and everything inside, but they were nimble cars and actually great drivers. And if you can find one today in good condition, it's still a good driver's car and it's reliable because it's a Toyota. And mm. so then they came out with a second generation and they kind of like 
marshmallowified it and it, like mm-hmm. it was a little bit bigger and a little softer and like the driving aspect went away from it because then it, they were trying to cater to American customers because they didn't sell a lot of the first ones. Do you know they came in a wagon? Um, yes, I've I met I I've seen like one or two on the internet. I don't think I've ever seen one in yeah. real life. I think I've seen one in real life. Are um, you talking about the first gen ones? Yeah. Yeah, huh. it's like would, it's kind of like, like a unicorn. Old, yeah, it's like the old. Um, like their early 2000s Impreza wagon where it's kind of a small slanted wagon. It's not like, you know, Ford Taurus wagon where it's a, you know, a big brick uh, yeah. and very voluminous. It's um, it was an interesting car. I, I don't think they sold more than like one of them, <laughs> but um, yeah, they, they had the second generation then it kind of like softened up a little bit. Now this one is at the tail end of the third generation and they've refreshed it a couple of times and, Tell you what, that V8 sounds really good. I've heard the V8 of theirs in this IS500. And it's also the same one that's in the LC500. They're a big touring coupe, like mm-hmm. uh, like Corvette fighter and stuff. They sound really good. Those things are that that um, that coupe, the L, you said LC, right? Mm-hmm. So that, those things are like, I don't know, just... I feel like they're now you're talking like real serious money. I think they're like six figures those ones. No, they're not. You can, you can get one. You can get one. I think high sixties, low seventies MSRP. Brand new. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Like, you know, a base, and then they have. I think they have a V8, and then they have a hybrid version, and mm-hmm. then you can get them as a convertible. And I think if you get like a loaded up one, they're probably touching ninety five ish. But yeah. Okay. They look like they're more expensive than they are. Yeah, they definitely do. They look real. They look real sharp. Um, now, are you are you adjusting for market value? No, no. This is MSRP. Okay. This is before <laughs> any, any current market conditions, which uh, is a whole rant that I could get on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. MSRP is pretty pretty competitive. Like it's right there in Corvette territory. Um, yeah. It obviously competes better with the C7 and prior Corvettes where it was, you know, a rear-wheel drive coupe with the engine in the front because that's what it is, more so than the C8, but it's still Mm -hmm. the same buyer. You know, it's still, you know, a guy, he's got, you know, retirement fund and, you -hmm. know, not to be stereotypical, but that's the kind of person that owns that. They want a sporty car with some Mm -hmm. power. They like the driving dynamics of an old, you know, v8 engine and stuff like that and uh, they're not necessarily looking to have a track car you know they just want mm-hmm. a, a nice nice cruiser it's a good grand tour really um yeah you think they, you just mentioned uh, a demographic who would typically purchase purchase that vehicle do you think that people our age i mean i'm in my mid-30s now so do you think that people our age and younger um, appreciate large displacement motors? Or do you think that they're more like turbo guys? And I would say turbo because even superchargers really aren't that big, like, aren't that big anymore. You, everything's basically turbo anymore. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm just curious on, on your take on that because I feel like the younger crowd, younger drivers who are into the auto industry, are probably more 
usually a little more techie, right? Mm. Uh, and I feel like they've been exposed to probably cars with the smaller engines, the turbos, force displays, like that kind of, you know, all that stuff. I think that I'm going to say, you know, millennials and younger are more interested in smaller, smaller displacement forced induction cars. And when I say smaller displacement, that could include V6s uh, because it's easy, like, especially if you're, if you like to, you know, modify your car and tune it and stuff, it's super easy to get a tune with a turbocharged car or forced induction and reap really good rewards out of, you know, relatively low outlay as compared to any naturally aspirated engine, including V8s. Like, you know, you could, uh, one of my customers at work is, he's ordering an R8 and he's talking about doing some stuff to it. And their tune, like an APR tune on that is, I think a thousand dollars and he gets about 20 horsepower out of it. And you know, is that- so- like it's low, it's low reward for what you're putting out as opposed to, you know, a same five, $600 tune for, you know, name your turbocharged four cylinder STI or, you know, focus RS or whatever. And you're getting 80, a hundred, 120 horsepower out of it by just turning up the boost and adjusting timing and fueling and things like that. Did you, did you say that, that, um, you said that R8 was it was NA, right? Yeah. The V10. And none of them are, none of them, like the V8 one isn't turboed either or anything like that. No, and they don't make the V8 anymore. They but don't. they were all, they were also naturally aspirated, yes. Interesting. But yeah, you're right. You have to like change, you have to do more hardware, I feel like, to mm-hmm. get power out of a naturally aspirated engine. And, I, and so APR tunes on those cars, that does nothing with the warranty? They provide their own warranty. But it won't so void basically, like it's, basically, if you take a, a new or a car within factory warranty to them and have it tuned, they will back up. If something fails because of the tune, they'll back it up if the if the factory warranty doesn't cover it. Interesting. Okay. They 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 warranty they put a warranty on the engine itself. Interesting. Yeah. I always liked. Um... I don't know if you could have gotten it in the V10 R8, but I know that there are a couple gated manual R8s. I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, they might have been only the V8. You can get both. Okay, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. And I always think it was weird. Like, I, I've heard from peop, other people saying that the, the purest R8 is the original V8 with a manual. I'm like, if I'm getting an R8, I want the V10 with a manual. Like, it's a it's a supercar. I don't want the V8, you know? Like, I just, but I guess they think it's, I guess their argument is it's it, the weight, the mm-hmm. weight balance is better and the mm-hmm. dynamics are better as a driver's car because it's it's mm-hmm. a lighter engine and, and the, the front to rear weight balance is better on the V8 car. But I'm sorry, when I think R8, I'm thinking V10 manual. That's just... Yeah. Right, exactly. Especially when you're in that, you know, when you're in that range of vehicle. I I agree. I, I just think that the I didn't realize that the that you could get a stick in the uh, the V10. Yeah, not anymore. But the first gen you could. Oh, okay. Yeah, the first gen when they offered the they offered it with the V8 
and the V10 and then a, a manual or uh, I think they were DSG back then. And then when they launched the second generation, you could only get the automatic from what I remember with mm-hmm. both engines. And then the current generation, they started offering rear wheel drive option because they were all Quattro. Um, but now they're all automatic and only V10. But you can get the V10 or the V8 or the, you can get the R8 or the R8 Plus, which is a higher, higher power version of it. Is it on its way out? Is it on its last model year or am I wrong about that? Something, I read it, there's one Audi that I like that's on its last. They're still available. Um, it is due for a complete chassis refresh. And so I think it will kind of coincide from with whatever replacement for the Huracan comes around. Because hmm. the Huracan's been around for a few years. It's time for an update. And they share a chassis and engine and, and stuff like that. They actually, a lot of people, including myself previously, um, believe that they share everything when they actually don't. I watched a video a couple months ago that the original Gallardo didn't actually share that much with the original R8. Uh, including like electrics and things like that. Like they have totally different diagnostic computers and the V10s are more different than you would think they are. And Mm. then when it went to the second gen, they started having more things in common. And now the current ones are uh, everything except the body is pretty much the same. Interesting. I'm surprised to hear that there are that many differences. Yeah. Well, that's that was because like originally it Audi had bought uh, Lamborghini from Chrysler in the 90s. So like Chrysler had it in the 90s. And then, so you have a, a delay of product cycles. And so like the Murcielago and the Gallardo were started being designed while they were under Chrysler ownership. And so they had their own stuff. And then they, Audi bought them in the early 2000s-ish. I don't know exactly when. But then the first products you start seeing from that merger are the second gen R8s. Gotcha. That makes some sense. Interesting. I always saw too, like, I think the, I forget what year I'm thinking, but there are the S6s that had the V10 in them. Yeah. A lot of people would say that, oh, it's, uh, I think. Was it out of the Gallardo? It might have been. They're like, oh, it's the same engine as the Gallardo. It's just detuned or whatever. Do you think that's correct or is that false? It's a version of the R8 engine, which is somewhat related to the Gallardo engine. So like that was that's the beginning of Audi and Lamborghini starting to share parts. So the V10s are related, but not that much. And then the, the V10 going into the S6 and I think S8 at the time, they changed a few things for the sedans versus the R8. Like the R8s dry sump oiling and then the sedans got an actual oil pan because there's more room under the car and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there are some other differences there. And I'm sure there's a, a little bit of a detune there for power or it's probably more from drivability and mm-hmm. having you know, power and torque in different parts of the rev range Mm-hmm. to suit the cars better i forget where i was i was at um audi in wilmington was doing 
like a cars and coffee. Uh, it was cool. Like a lot of people get they come out for those, and uh, I forget exactly what it was. It might have been an S4 wagon or maybe just an S4, but somebody, someone had um, swapped the 5.2 liter V10 in there. And it was, it looked really cool. I mean, that was cool to see that. Uh, I, just, I mean, it, it, it looked like, it looked like it was definitely like a mechanics car. Like, yeah. It wasn't, wasn't like very pretty looking, yeah. but like mechanically it looked pretty cool. Stuff like that. Like I, I find interesting things like, you know, the stuff that you wouldn't normally see interesting not that you see that kind of stuff frequently Mm -hmm. at cars and coffees it's more like stuff that hasn't been molested with at at all everything's like you know pretty pristine i feel like right but but it is cool to see that i know we're like totally jumping around but um it is cool to see that kind of stuff and uh i was impressed by it yeah you never know like i've only actually been to one cars and coffee type event and that was actually, I went this past summer and that was the first time I've gone to a car event like that in about 20 years. Wow. Really? Yeah. Like I, I went with a couple of friends and my dad actually to some, to some shows, you know, the first couple of years after I was out of high school, back when like hot import nights was a thing, like that was a show scene. There was um, a couple of different scenes like that, but we went to a couple of those car shows, but I don't know if I've been to one really, maybe one or two small local ones, but that was probably my first one in a long time. And it was kind of because I, I, I don't know if I lost interest in them or it's just not something I'd always rather be driving the car than looking at other cars while I can also appreciate cars. Like I love looking at them and talking to people about them. So I guess it just depends on my mood. Although I think about it. Which one work did you go to? This was one down from where I live at a little used car lot. They have one like once a month. Yeah, that is that that one where it's like one thirteen or something like that. Yeah, 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 just Joe's. That's the one I used. I would go to. I liked it because for me, it's like 40, 40 or so minute drive from where I live, and it's in the morning. You know, and most at that time on a Saturday, there's not a whole lot of traffic. So like, I would go grab my coffee. You know, have a nice little drive, go walk around, get some get some exercise in, see some cars, and then drive home. So to me, because I don't know how you feel or like anybody else listening, but sometimes I think I need to have a destination. The drive for me is more fun if I, I have a spot that I'm going to rather than just like driving around. Again, I think it's like a mood thing. Yeah, I can see that. I used to have a motorcycle and one of my goals for a while, you kind of get bored of driving the same roads used to be to get lost. I would say, okay, I'm driving, pulling out of my driveway. I'm going to turn right. Uh, I'm going to turn right. I'm going to turn left. I'm going to go straight. And like, eventually, like I knew all the roads at first and they were all very familiar. But then after a while, I'm like, you know, I have I've never always wondered what's down that road. So I would turn that way and then I would see, okay, this is kind of nice. Or this is kind of like a crappy road and whatever. And then you take a couple more turns after about a half hour. I'm like, I have no clue where I am. And then like five minutes later, wait a minute. I know where I am. So then you kind of learn like this new route that connects you to some place you've already been many times before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And like the one time I took, I kind of envisioned a lap around the County that I lived in. So like I kind of looked at a map beforehand and I looked, okay, this road has to go here and then I have to go on this road. And so I kind of make this like w- one big loop of the County I lived in at the time, but you know, you kind of get creative, but I would always go out as a means to just kind of get lost and, 
not have a destination, but I also can see your point as well. I don't know. Maybe it's a mental thing, but I feel like on a motorcycle, it's just different. Like you're kind of more, I'm going to say on an adventure. Hmm. And and I and like, you know you could drive around on a tank of gas probably like all day, right? It probably costs like ten dollars, not even ten dollars to fill your tank probably. So the idea of just like riding around that makes more sense. Like I can get on board with that. I don't know. I think maybe I chose the wrong words yeah. about not having a destination. Now that I think about it, we'll we'll cut back to that in a later show. But you know, I, I'm definitely right now looking out my window at the cold and (laughs) wishing that I could go on a drive. (laughs) Yeah. Windows down. It's, it's kind of interesting for me because I love having the opportunity to drive in snow, like any chance I can get, even though my wife hates the thought of me doing that, but I've always liked it. I'm also really looking forward to spring when I can put my summer tires back on and enjoy driving again like windows down i like to winter but um i'm also looking forward to spring too it's different it's a different kind of fun i think you know i think that spirited driving and and just the act of being out you know the nice weather and you know with the machine and listening to the engine and all that good stuff it's great in the summertime but it's, i think it's i think it's really great that you uh can find a way to enjoy your car Mm-hmm. in the snow too because a lot of people can't or don't or, or whatever they you know may park the car for the winter and drive their their beater all all winter you know but i like how you drive your your car you know in all seasons and and you have it geared up that way too where it's safe and mm-hmm. a lot of people think they kind of use the cop out to say well i'm not afraid of driving in bad weather it's the other drivers and i get that to some point I also think to some extent, a lot of people are afraid to drive in bad weather because they just don't have enough practice and people need a lot of practice to be good at something. And I think if we had the time to actually practice it more, I think more people would be more comfortable with it and more, more competent than, but that's one of the downfalls of our, the driving system in our country is we don't provide enough training and that's a whole other rant but i think if people were more comfortable with it and did it more often mm-hmm. it would be different there are also people that don't just don't like snow in general so to them i ask sure. why are you still living in a snow climate but yeah so i guess now's a good time to talk about it so jason what is your car and how long have you had it i have a 2016 Audi S3. I've had that for just over two years now, actually. Okay. Probably, I think I got it right around this time, actually, in 2020. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So we have our cars about the same amount of time then. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I don't think I put like. No, you have it. You have yours about a little bit more than like about 10 months more than I do. How many miles have you put on your car in that? time frame so i got my so i have a 2006 cayman i bought that in november of 20 and it had just like 41,000 and some change like less than 41,100 and i just flipped 55,000 the other day so i had i've put 14,000 ish on it in about you know 13 months 13 and a half months that's 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 like yeah, I nerd out with stats and mm-hmm. um, I use a, a, a car maintenance tracker app 
and I was just entering some things in it the other day. And before I filled up last the other day, I had put like I was averaging 11,000 some change miles a year, which I think is it's like the stereotypical average car miles. Probably not typical of that model car. For sure. There's another thing that's cool, you know. It's good to see people driving these performance cars and finding use for them. And uh, I know we've talked about this before, and we can probably get into it in more depth, you know, later on or another episode. But um, I, th- I think, you know, you mentioned that to me at least that you like to travel, right? And and I find it um, interesting how uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say roomy. But the use of space in that car it seems like you can get a lot of a lot of bags and things in there that most people probably wouldn't think. And uh, it seems like it's quite capable that you can use rather than just driving around the weekends. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I just did some quick math while you were talking. It, when I bought it in November of 20, it was roughly 14 years old, 41,000 miles. That means the prior five owners put an average of less than 3,000 miles on it a year. Jeez. 2,900 and some change. And so going on averages, I've done the equivalent of what, four or five years of, of mileage in one year. We can put it that way. It's like, holy smokes, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But that's typical average for, for a car like this. So I'm definitely not the average driver of one of those, but yeah, yeah, it's got plenty of room. It's, it's actually, while it's not as large as a grand, like a GT car normally is, it has a lot of room. Like we were getting, my wife and I went on a beach vacation for a few days this summer and I wanted to use this opportunity to see how much it could hold. I put, we have the large check luggage bags that you put on that, you know, weighs like 50 pounds. Uh, that can go on top of the engine behind the drive, behind the seats. It can also go in the lower area because the rear is two tiered uh, storage areas. It can go in the lower area and it can go in the upper area. So you can get two full-size suitcases in the back of this car or uh, four carry-ons in the back. And then I could fit, depending on the size, two to three carry-ons in the front. And that's a this is probably a stupid question for most people, but that's a two-seater you have, right? Yeah. So yeah, that to me that's surprising that you can you can fit all. I like how you configured it in all those different ways as well. That's pretty good. Yeah. I um, if you Jason, if you check out my Instagram, if you go back a little bit, I posted some photos of it. But yeah, I was I was well, quite proud of myself, and and Sarah was um, not as thrilled as I was. Uh, she was very <laughs> like, I don't care. It's not yeah. supposed to be a practical car. It's supposed to be a fun car. Stop trying to make it practical. I'm like, but it could do so much. <laughs> yeah, well, it's important. I mean, it's like you're, you you can now justify that that you needed to before, but now, especially for all the guys out there who who are trying to buy this car and then their and their wives or girlfriends are saying, "Don't do it." Now you can justify it. Like, hey, we can put all these bags in here. We can get shopping for you. <laughs> the only thing we can't do is put our 115-pound Akita in the car with us. We can we can go on vacation wherever we, wherever we want. We just can't take our, our dog, um, which that disappoints him because he's my wife's shadow. No, we don't have kids, but we also have a four-door sedan if we did have kids or if we want to take the dog somewhere. So from my perspective, which is different than a lot of people, I don't see see the need for 
us to have two cars with four plus seats. Um, I know a lot of people have the argument about, well, if you have kids, you know, you want to have the rear seats because you can put car seats in the back. Okay, that's fine. But if you have two or three kids, how often are both parents taking at least one or two kids with them at the same time? Generally, both parents are not taking kids at the same time. So um, obviously there are different situations for everybody. And this is me just trying to uh, validate myself, I guess. For our situation, we don't need two of the same car. I like the idea, not all the time, but you'll see someone who has like this, the same exact car, both the husband and wife, like the same yeah. exact car. Like, why What's would the you point? do that? Right. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I never understood that, why people would do that. I, I say that, but, and I agree with that, but her family is guilty of doing that. At one point, like when I met her, her dad had a G37 coupe, which was his second one. Cause the first one got totaled, but he had a G37 coupe and her mom had a G37 sedan. So they're kind of the same. And then my wife liked the car so much. She got a G37 sedan. So when I started dating her, you opened up all three garage doors and there was G37, G37, G37. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There's still two in the garage. Um, the, the coupe has been replaced with an M4, but I think they should have switched it up a little bit but they they like what they like and she's luckily never going to sell her car until literally stops moving um so and then when we, when it does stop moving we have a replacement for it because the other car has low miles and is also eventually her car anyway so i don't so have to worry about buying her a car for a long time so that's good you can you can yeah. put that that car payment in the bank so that's um what nissan right yeah what are those things like in terms of reliability they go for a pretty long time or it depends on which which infinities you get which nissans you get the i guess i'm talking more more like 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 let's just let's say that era yeah nissan motor company you're talking like pretty reliable or or no i can't say i can't speak for the whole brand we've had great experience we her car has 113,000 miles on it she's owned it since new it's now starting it's a 11th year of age is a 2011 we've put tires on that car we've put brakes on that car other than that that's we've done maintenance like we've done filters and fluids we replaced all those struts at about 80,000 miles because we wanted to we wanted to keep a nice tight suspension it had a wheel bearing go out while it was under warranty one wheel bearing and that was about it the other one that we still have only has like 40,000 miles on it it hasn't really needed anything except tires he, I don't think he's done brakes yet. Maybe rear brakes because the Infinity brakes are about the size of a Tic Tac. That's my biggest complaint about that. We we do rear brakes on that car about every thirty thousand miles. We do tires about every forty thousand miles. No matter what kind of t- I have, I haven't put the same tire on this car once. So forty thousand miles like clockwork tires. That's but interesting. We've gotten a couple traded at work the last year and a half or so, and they're junk. Like they just weren't taken care of. And so it's a classic example of a little bit of maintenance and just taking care of the car and having pride in something makes a difference because they look terrible. And they had 80,000, 90,000 miles on the two I'm thinking of. They were about Mm -hmm. the same age. It was, it was kind of a shame because I knew what the car was capable of and -hmm. that they could do really well. But that's also the age of like Nissan. They were doing CVTs in some of their cars and I've heard they have some of the worst CVTs and CVTs are 
or crap in general. Right. But I was going to say, I, is there a good CVT? <laughs> there's an okay CVT. So Subaru has a pretty decent CVT as far as CVTs are concerned. It's adequate, as, as I call it, but it's still, it's trying to do too many things and it's, it's not an engaging transmission. The reason for them is to have as an infinite number of gears. So it's theoretically always in the best RPM range and gear ratio for acceleration or for fuel economy. The other way is to have now Ford and Chevy have a 10 speed automatic, you know, and everybody's like, well, what's, you know, when does it stop? Well, that's the point of a CVT is so that you don't have to worry about or have a 20 speed transmission to achieve certain goals. There's drawbacks to everything. I would like to have this transmission shootout discussion one of these episodes. <laughs> CVT, manual, regular automatic, DSG, and see some of the comments that that conversation would bring. But I think, I don't know, in my opinion, I don't, I hear what you're saying about CVTs having a specific goal in mind, but I just, I can't get on board. It seems to me a very dull driving experience. It is. Um, and actually, I think I've probably had the experience to have driven one of the worst and one of the current best. So the first CVT I can remember is actually from Saturn in like mm-hmm. the early 2000s. A girl I was dating at the time bought an Ion and it had the mm-hmm. automatic or it had the CVT. That thing was horrible. Like if you thought about pushing the gas pedal, it revved all the way up to like 5,000 RPM and it stayed there until you got to the speed you were going and you released the gas and it would drop down. But it was like, it was like, we all the way up to whatever speed you wanted to get to <laughs> uh-huh. the, the CVT in my Outback was much better. Like you could, you could, you know, you'd accelerate and it would kind of hold an RPM, but it wasn't at 5,000 RPM. It was, you know, somewhere in the rev range, but if you floored it and it's like, okay, you actually want to go somewhere. Then the, the lo- shift logic actually reverted to picking a set number of six gear or a set six ratios. And so it would actually shift. It would rev through the RPM range to, to like 6,000 RPM. And then it would like shift and then it would pick another ratio somewhere in the infinite ratios and go through all those gears. Because when you want to accelerate quickly, people are used to and expecting hearing the engine, you know, rev and then drop and then rev again and drop. Right, it's just what right. we're programmed for that. And so it replicated that. And mm. it doesn't, didn't have to do that for technical reasons, but it did that for human reasons. And, you know, what was nice about it is in combination with the six cylinder that I had in the car, it actually was really quiet because it would always kept the RPMs low unless you need to accelerate. And the six cylinder didn't work as hard as the four cylinder. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a good pairing considering what option was available because the engine was not stressed very hard. It didn't have to work hard. It didn't have to rev a lot. And it was, it was a really quiet, almost luxurious experience to be inside the car because it rode well comfort wise. So yeah, that was a good car. Just wasn't the car for me. Was that, um, was that engine, was that like, uh, an upgraded engine choice or was there a four cylinder available? So until this current generation of Outbacks, uh, well, in the one I had, I had an 18. Uh, that one went from 2015 to 20, 2019 or 20. Um, mm. You could either get the 2.5 liter flat four or the 
six liter flat six. The force, I don't care what anyone says, the four cylinder is not enough engine for that car. It has like 146 horsepower. The car weighs 4,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people load it up with, with kids or pets or luggage or whatever. And a four cylinder, it just screams because it's got to work so hard because it doesn't have any power. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. Uh, the six cylinder, I think, is adequate. I think it was 256 horsepower. And obviously, those cars aren't made to be like sports cars, but you still want to have a certain amount of confidence in being able to get up and go if you have to. Or, right. you know, it's just not a pleasant sound to hear this engine just screaming away just because it's trying to get up to speed. So, yeah, the, the, the six was, a, was an upgrade. I don't recommend the four cylinder anyone, but obviously that's mostly what they sell. So I'm not their demographic target market. I think, I don't know. I think, again, going back to the CBT thing, I just think that I, I don't even know if they're still being widely produced in the US. Our car manufacturers are still really making them. I think that's pretty much all Nissan uses. Honda, I think, is starting to get away from them. Companies are starting to get away from them in general because consumers are responding to them that they're not total you know necessarily fans and now so their the response is just okay well let's come out with an eight speed or a nine speed or a 10 speed automatic you know Mm -hmm. and get back to what people are used to as far as i know nissan still is mostly or all cvts i would love to see what a 10 speed automatic transmission looks like on the inside because i used i've seen them all the bands and stuff and it's i used to work in parts for a ford dealership so i've seen i've I've been on the parts side of things where you know putting that kind of stuff together, but I would imagine that 10 speed automatic is just a nightmare to work on. They probably don't even repair them anymore. They probably just like order a new, you know, a new trans from the factory and take it out and put a new one in. Yeah. And I don't think transmissions fail internally that often anymore mm-hmm. or even need to be rebuilt. Mostly what you see is what used to be called a valve body. Uh, different companies call it something different now, but basically the brains of the transmission tends to fail more than the actual gears and, and things like that inside. Cars have gotten a lot more reliable than they used to be. The biggest unreliability of cars anymore is all the electronics in them. Yep, I can see that for sure. Um, what What is your first memory that revol- that relates to a car? Like when you, the farthest back you can go that you can think of a car. What what is that memory? That's interesting. Um, uh, we had to jump start my grandfather's 1982 like Lincoln Town Car or something. And uh, I, I was a kid. I was probably like four, maybe or five. But we were we were jump starting um, this old Lincoln Town Car with uh, an '87 Ford Aerostar. <laughs> which is like the quintessential 80s minivan, I think. And I just thought that was cool because I'm a little kid and I, you know, my dad, you know, you have to, you have to give it a little gas, you know, to get the, um, I guess the alternator up a little bit to get a little cranking power for the, the car that needed it. And uh, I just, I remember being a little kid, like, oh, this is great. Like I'm trying to start this car. Um, that was a pretty cool memory. Hmm. That was probably my first really, really fun car memory. Mm-hmm. How about you? My first memory is my dad taking me to the babysitter. I've asked him about when this happened before. And from what I think he said, I think we've come up with it. I was about three or four. And all I remember is 
that he had a blue, an old blue Ford truck. And I said, dad, do you remember that old, old blue truck? And he's like, yeah. I said, what, I said, what year was that? Like, when did you have it? And he's like, well, you were, I think it was right around the time my sister was born. So I was between two and four when he had that. And I think he said it was like a mid sixties Ford truck. Oh, cool. Nice. And so that always sticks out. Like I, my memory is of a baby blue Ford pickup. And so maybe that's why I love Ford trucks. Um, but the combination of that and him having several of them over my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's my first car memory is, is that just going in that truck. I don't remember anything else about that truck. I just remember that. That's funny. It's, it's cool to me how people choose what they're comfortable with. And I think that you could probably go with that on like a lot of different levels. But we always had a Ford vehicle, some type of Ford in my family for a long, for as, as long as I was growing up. And I think that's probably why I went that direction maybe right i got i feel like i don't know it's, that's interesting that's an interesting question i think that we could you know ask some of the listeners how they got involved with i guess the brand of their of their choice cars leave a lasting impression impression on us yeah for sure if i ever have kids i'm kind of curious and hopeful of how they will interact with them and what kind of memories can be made but mm-hmm. you know that's that's yet to be seen i can't make car memories with my dog <laughs> no at least <laughs> Not that at least, you're aware of. <laughs> it's it's not a two-way memory. It's a one-way yeah. one memory. Yeah, exactly. Whenever I come back to this thought, I'm always baffled. And it's perfectly okay because I like weird cars too. But I'm still trying to figure out why you like the Lincoln Mark 8 so much or Mark 7, whichever one it is. That's the Mark 8. I don't know. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm a huge fan of You're the um, only person I know that likes those cars. <laughs> Have you heard like bad things that look? Well, hang no. on, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I would. I I, this, I like luxury and performance. I don't know. I think I just weird man. Like that car, it's just like it's like a. I don't know if you'd call it a muscular V8, but you know, four four point six probably sounded pretty good. I'm sure it had a little bit of power to it. You know, get up and go for for the for the year. Were those the thirty-two um, valve V8s in that car? Yeah, yeah, thirty-two yeah. valve. Yep. I don't know. I can't really explain it. I guess I just think that they're cool, man, and and they're they're made up of parts now that are unobtainium, probably. So <laughs> and all of them are beat to death. Like if you look, if you go yeah. every once in a while, like I'll go on Craigslist or I'll go on uh, Auto Trader and I'll look for one, and you'll see, you know, you'll see one that's like beat to hell, and, mm-hmm. and they want like three grand for it and you'll probably never get a part that you need to replace on it and then you'll see one that has like fifty thousand miles on it and they want like 20 grand for it it's like yeah i don't know it's just one of those things to me like i just uh i would love i would love to have if i had like a five car garage hmm. and i could and i could just buy like a, a pristine one i totally would do it yeah so i've always had the impression that the the continental was basically a front-wheel drive version of the town car, like essentially, like they were. The Continental was a unibody car. The town car was a frame car, a body-on mm-hmm. frame. But I, I always thought that the Continental was geared towards people who wanted a town car but didn't want rear-wheel drive. And then the Mark Eight 
in Mark seven and all the generations before that's like a front wheel or um, just a coupe version of the Continental. Do you know if Continental or the, the Mark eight shared its chassis with the, with the Thunderbird? Well, I know that the Mark seven shared a lot of things with the Mustang of the time, like the Fox bodied Mustangs. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They had the five, they had the five liter uh, V8 in them. They had a lot of the same suspension components. They were, they were actually very similar in size too. And then the, and then the, the Mark 8s got a little bigger. So they may have been on the same platform as the Thunderbird, but I'm pretty sure the Mark 7s shared a platform with the Mustang. And if you ever look at, if you ever compare like a, because the Mark 7s were uh, up until 80, 93, I think maybe, or 92, 92. They were like 87 to 92, which was like, you know, right at the same time as the Fox Body Mustangs. If you ever take a look at the interior of both of them, you can tell it's like a jazzed up, Mustang, which I think is cool. I would love to see Lincoln. They're never going to do it, but I'd love to see Lincoln make a version of the Mustang in today's time. The the Mark 8s, they're front-wheel drive, right? No, rear-wheel. Oh, they are. Okay, then I'm totally wrong. Okay, so that makes sense because the Thunderbirds, even the last generation, not the 03 retro one, but like the the 90s one, the Super Coupes, I guess they were still rear-wheel drive too, right? Or did they switch? I want to say they were rear-wheel drive. Yeah, they were definitely rear-wheel drive. But they, you know, like the Super Coupes, they had a supercharger on them, which was pretty cool. Like, like all these her, cars are so cool. They don't make these kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. I was just thinking to myself, for how much I confess to being a diehard Ford guy, the Thunderbird and some of the Lincoln stuff, I've never really learned a lot of their intricacies. Like, mm-hmm. one thing that I kind of, like, enjoy is knowing, like, oh, this, you know, the Jeep is actually a Fiat, you know, you don't knew that because they just changed all the thing, but like that model of Jeep is actually a Fiat and not an actual Jeep. So you're actually driving a Fiat, but right. the Lincoln stuff of the nineties, I just didn't keep up with and I should know more or I can't have my Ford card anymore. <laughs> we have to pull it. <laughs> That's a whole nother, a whole nother tangent we can go off on is Mercury. You remember Mercury? Yeah. You had like three different, I feel like you had three different trim levels on those of yeah. the same car. Let's talk about the Explorer. So you had a Ford Explorer. Oh, they did. Like, Lincoln had one. Like the Aviator? Yeah. But I'm ta- But I'm thinking... Before that. I was thinking like late 90s, but yeah. So okay. if we if we go a little later on, yeah, yeah. you have the uh, the Mercury Mountaineer. Right. Well, let's, let's start with the Explorer. I mean, Ford Explorer, which you could get as basic as they come. And, you know, you get the Eddie Bauer, which is a pretty nice car, but then you'd have the Mercury Mountaineer, which is like the same vehicle, just like mm-hmm. different options, different yeah. like, materials. And then you had the Lincoln Navigator, which is like, again, the same vehicle, which to me is like another trim level of yeah. the same car, just a different name. But yeah, there are, there are some, different, obviously like headlights and taillights on the Lincoln, but the differences between a late 90s Explorer and a late 90s Mercury Mountaineer were literally like the rear on those things, the bumper on the Mountaineer had some reflectors in it. That was like the difference between the Explorer and the Mountaineer. And then the headlights were a little bit different, but they mm-hmm. had the same shape. Like you could probably fit them into either one of those cars. Yeah. Um, and I find that stuff just fascinating. You don't have that anymore among car manufacturers where you have different brands like that under the same name like you do have you know we'll say like nissan and infinity yeah you do have mm-hmm. those things but lincoln so mercury, that's obvious 
Yeah, Lincoln Mercury and Ford were just like so subtle, but like, like almost the same car to me. This is where I'm like, well, Ford is better than GM because GM was worse at it. Because the same time frame, you had Chevy, Olds, Cadillac, Buick, Pontiac, five different brands all having a car that almost looked exactly the same. Like if you remember the 2000 Pontiac Grand Am and mm-hmm. the Oldsmobile Alero, Chevy Malibu, they were really similar. Or even yeah. in the early 90s, there were a couple of models. I think the like the old Cutlass and the, the Grand Prix and something. I'm getting some of these models, but like GM was very bad at like they literally changed a grill and the headlights were the same and the bumpers <laughs> yeah. were the same. A lot of companies started doing it in the 80s were you know platform sharing to reduce costs and things. But you got to try to make them a little bit different so that you're not just buying the same car with a different badge on it. Yeah, and that's like another thing I, as an enthusiast, don't love about the way things are now because among different cars, we'll say different, you know, same cars in the same brand, but among them, you'd have different interiors. You know, like the gauge cluster is different. The center stack's different. Like all that stuff is different. And I'll go back to Ford because I feel like that's where I see it the most. It's like you go into one car and the interior layout is like the same. Like if you go into a Ford Escape and then you step into what would be next, like an Explorer maybe, like they all share the, to me, the same configurable gauge pod, I'll call it. I don't know. I like the uniqueness of, of like, one car being different than the other car. I don't like all the uniformity that's just making everything so bland, in my opinion, these days. I talked to you before about I have gauges in my car, which I like. I think that brings character. Um, but there's also an argument for virtual cockpit that a lot of people would never go stray from. You know, that's another thing that I guess we can argue about. Mm-hmm. I prefer gauges and mm-hmm. individuality also. Yeah, I, I- Definitely from a from a stylistic standpoint and I guess a sentiment standpoint, people enjoy having or seeing a difference from car to car in the same manufacturer. People also like things easy. And if they're upgrading from the base model to the next size up car to the next size up, or if they have several of the same brand in the family, they like the ease of use of getting into a car and everything's familiar. Like they know That's where all the controls point. are. They know where, how to function this. They know what to expect from this. Like, so there's kind of like a balance of how you make it unique to a car. Like you don't want A3 interior to look the same as an A8 interior, just bigger. Like you want some different, like a customer spending $130,000 on an A8 wants their car to look different and feel different and special compared to a $45,000, car, no matter what right. brand it is, you know? So there's a balance though. Definitely a balance. I, you know, again, we'll have to delve deeper into that, I think, at another time, because I'm, I'm curious to see what people think about that. Uh, specifically, I want to say gauges versus mm-hmm. virtual cockpit. That's my question. Well, I think we've kind of gone over time. Let's um, wrap it up and okay. open it up for questions. Um, we don't have yet a medium for listeners to send us questions but that is going to be forthcoming so check the show notes and keep an eye out for that get your questions ready and we'll respond to them as soon as we can um any final thoughts jason no i mean you know uh 
I'm enjoying um, this podcast and uh, working with you on this, Isaac. And um, going um, over time is I feel like I'm just hanging out with a friend, talking about cars, and you know, saying it's good stuff. Yeah, I think it's gonna be hard to keep it to any kind of a reasonable time frame because we kind of can just keep, you know, riffing on things. So hang out with us, everyone. Let us know what you think about some of the things we discussed, and you know, we'll talk to you soon.